0: Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. I'm often fascinated about life before mass communication. I mean, radio really was sort of like the first foray into something that united us as people. Before that... You know, there was the local newspaper, but it really only sort of spread beyond your neighborhood, your you know, beyond the, the local city. But then radio happened. And then all of a sudden, radio connected people across hundreds and then thousands of miles and then around the world. And because of that, people changed. And then there was television, which was the visual of radio. And it showed us ways in which we think and live. And, of course, people changed. And then... There was the Internet and the magnifying glass became deeper and deeper on our lives. And I don't have to tell you how much the Internet has changed us. Dr. Carl Truman is back with us. Carl always has an interesting interesting perspective on who we are as believers in Christ, especially viewed through a cultural lens. His newest book, which we love, is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism and the Road to Sexual Revolution. Carl, welcome back.
1: Great to be back. Thanks for having me
0: on. Thank you, Carl. Carl, in the piece that you wrote um, called Pu- uh, Public Discourse, it's titled Our Plastic World and Plastic Selves. You engage in a thought experiment, which I think in many ways runs a parallel to radio, television, and the Internet. Talk to us about this thought experiment.
1: Yeah, well, really, the, the idea of, of plastic people living in a plastic world is, we, you know, we're now living in a world where, the typical means by which uh, human beings have identified themselves over the centuries are rapidly dissolving before us. When you think about, when I was growing up, probably when you were growing up, uh, the world was relatively stable, even with the inventions you've mentioned, uh, radio, et cetera, et cetera. Most human interaction was still embodied, was still physical. Uh, we lived in communities that had a stability to them, we had families yes. that had a, a significant degree of continuity. We now live in a world where none of those things apply. And the question then becomes, you know, who are we? How do we identify ourselves when all of the typical external markers by which we would have traditionally identified ourselves, had a sense of self, had a sense of personhood and identity? What happens when, when they go into free fall, when they dissolve? Uh, we find ourselves today in a situation where the world is constantly in flux and we can be anything we want to be because of the technology that's at, at our disposal. And that, I think, is a recipe for, uh, well, it's a recipe for all of the problems that we now see around us. For example, high levels of anxiety. Uh, people no longer know how to relate to each other because they no longer really know who they are themselves.
0: I took um, consolation. I was consoled as a child is what I should say because my identity was primarily I was my father's son. And so as people knew my father, then then in some ways they knew me as well. But now because we are so disparate, so individual as you speak of, we're just making up our own identities as we go along, right? Few of us would identify as our father, sons in the small towns we live in. Now people identify as he, him, they, which is totally backwards.
1: Yes, I mean, the, the, the trans thing is, is, the, is the latest iteration of this. But when you think about it, I mean, my accent gives it away. I live three and a half, four thousand 4,000 miles from where I was brought up. I'm no longer tied to a geographical location in the way that my parents and my grandparents were. I can no longer be identified as a person from a certain place or a certain town. Uh, When you think about modern life and the flux that is modern life, all of those traditional markers I mentioned have have now disappeared, have dissolved. And the trans issue is in some ways the most extreme. One might always have said, well, at least my body gives me some kind of guide to who I am. Well, now we've decided that's no longer the case. My body may present male secondary and primary sex characteristics, but if I feel like I'm a woman, why shouldn't I be a woman? Why can't I be whoever I want to be? Even the institution of embodiment, if you like, is now being challenged uh, on significant fronts. In our
0: society. So what is that going to look like in the future? I mean, we, you know, we live in this entertainment world now where people have turned away from the church. Government, of course, is, has always been suspect, but even more so. And, and our altar really is the entertainment world or whether it's, you know, the online of TikTok and Twitter and all the other things. We look to those people in that echo chamber to define who we are. And that's where our self-creation is.
1: Yeah, we're able to confect our own identities. In some ways, this is not – it's not necessarily something we want because most of us have not chosen for our old communities and the old external markets to dissolve. We find ourselves in a world where that's happening. So it's not as if we ourselves have necessarily torn down the structures that we needed. It's where we find ourselves now. And in that kind of a situation, when we want to find an identity, when we want to belong to a group, well, the newly emerging groups will prove attracted to us. That vacuum of identity, if you like, will be filled by other new identities. And we now have the ability to do that through, through technology. I would say what we're witnessing today is the passing away of a number of, of the old communities, church nation, family, and the replacing of them with new authoritative institutions, primarily entertainment, you pointed to, but also the medical world, because entertainment and medicine, these are the two things that, if nothing else, they can make us feel good physically and mentally about ourselves. So we're seeing a, a whole new authority structure beginning to emerge within society as well at this point.
0: People always, though, make noise about wanting truth in their lives, right? That we should follow the truth, that I'm a truthful person. So if everything's fluid, if everything's plastic, as you're saying, then truth is just kind of wiggle as well. But won't people get tired of that sooner or later?
1: I think so. I mean, we redefine truth, of course. Truth originally would often refer to some kind of objective state of affairs, now truth tends to mean in our lives that which makes me feel good physically or mentally that which is therapeutic to me so we we turn truth into a a pragmatic analgesic kind of phenomenon if you like whether society is sustainable on that basis is is another matter Uh, if we end up with a society where the only thing that really matters is my own comfort and I'm not willing to sacrifice for anybody else, then we end up with a society of isolated individuals that I suspect may not be sustainable in the long run. It's very interesting that in places like China and Russia, and I'm not putting China and Russia forward as as places we should emulate, but one of the things they do is they specifically cultivate the importance of the nation and national identity. Now, the way they do that may be very obnoxious, But I think what they're seeing is in order for society to operate at some kind of functional level, there has to be a greater identity than that confected by the individual or the individual subgroups. within a particular society.
0: Right I mean you see this I mean uh, China and Russia notwithstanding you see this even in Ukraine today as they are being attacked right the Ukrainians I mean I'm reading about an article today about a couple that was married in Ukraine and you know they were both wearing army fatigues they're both carrying weapons but at the end of the wedding ceremony so to speak the crowd burst out in the Ukrainian national anthem I mean you know that was necessary to let people you know live through another day but here today in, in the west especially of course you know this we're more interested in safe spaces and trigger warnings and so we are more susceptible to being plod over by the likes of russia and china
1: yes i mean there's, there's a certain truth to the idea that that conflict and opposition and having enemies if you like will solidify certain kinds of identity and america has been so powerful uh, for so long what one might say, well, it's inevitable in that context that a kind of a national identity will, will degenerate and will wither away because it's not seen as being necessary at that point. If you're a Ukrainian today, your national identity is absolutely vital to you at this point because it's going to organize everything, all the ways you think and all the ways you act in the coming days.
0: Yes, So I wonder, you know, as the pendulum swings, and it certainly swung violently these last decade or so, will it ever go back to some sense of what we would consider normalcy or the truth that we grew up with?
1: It's hard to tell. I mean, I think one of the most interesting things as a foreigner living in the United States at the moment is the the crisis, the debate over the origin story. Was America founded in 1776 or in uh, 1619? Right. The very fact that debate is taking place indicates there's there's a problem with American national identity because if you don't know your point of origin, if you don't know where you come from, then it's very, very difficult to know who you are in the present. Most of us intuitively know that. Americans intuitively know that because of the great interest in genealogy there is in this country. All of the Americans I know are fascinated in where their ancestors came from. So we intuitively know that points of origin are important. What's being debated in America at the moment is the point of origin of the nation itself. And that is a very, very interesting development and a very sinister one, I
0: have to say. It is sinister because, you know, where you come from, your home country of England, you know your origin story. And, of course, the Russians know their origin story. So do the Chinese. America being the melting pot that it is, the origin story is up for grabs in some way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's ironic that what many of us would regard as the, the genius of America, if you like, that it is a country that invented itself, that anybody can come and become an American. I mean, if you emigrated to Britain, John, and, 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 and became British citizen, you would always be an American who happened to have a British passport to yes. me. But in America, anybody can really become an American, a true, genuine American. That's brilliant. And yet that's now proving to be something of an Achilles heel in our current context, when the debate about, well, what is it that constitutes an American really takes off?
0: Yes. From Grove City College, we're talking with Dr. Carl Truman. His book is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. Carl, as a believer, uh, you yourself are a a Christian. Um, In these weird times that we're living in, Do you find yourself being anxious more often than not, or do you have a measure of peace?
1: (laughs) Well, I've been looking at my retirement funds the last couple of weeks, and I have to say a little bit of anxiety has kicked in.
0: Things have changed. Uh,
1: um, (laughs) I I think that my, my anxiety tends to run now. I mean, I'm in my 50s. My anxiety tends to run for my children and, you know, and the coming generations, what's the world going to be like for them? I'm less concerned as I get older about me, me because I don't have so long to run. I do worry in the short to medium term for, for the coming generations. We know Jesus is going to win. We know that the church is going to triumph at the end. But we also know that some people live lives of comparative peace. And some people live through times of comparative trauma. And I would rather have my kids and grandkids (laughs) live through times of comparative peace. Yes. I get a little anxious about that. Not that I'm worried about how history is going to end, but what kind of life my children, my grandchildren will have.
0: I agree. I mean, you you know, you look at us. I mean, post-World War II and to where we are right now, we have lived relatively, and you know, it's – It's up for grabs, of course, but it's been relatively peaceful as far as the sweep of the world, and now we may be entering into a new phase, or perhaps not.
1: Yeah, I mean, I never faced the draft. Uh, I I mean, America had Vietnam, of course, which Britain did not have. Um, British people of my generation have had a very, very easy life compared to our parents and our grandparents going through two world wars, and that could be changing in the West, could be changing.
0: Well, Carl, thanks. Uh, You're always very thoughtful, and I appreciate your presence here, as always. Thanks for having me on, Thank you. Carl Truman joins us from Grove City College. His work is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to Sexual Revolution. You can find Carl all over social media. He publishes regularly and deeply. Carl Truman from Grove City. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.